MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode nine of Clean Up on Aisle 45. I am A.G. And I'm Andrew Torres. And uh, I wanted to kick off, Andrew, if it was okay, by thanking some of our new patrons this week. Absolutely. All right. First, we have Bridget Eileen Madden, Christina Perry, Bonnie Solmson, Chris Waltrip. I remember Chris. William Lancashire. uh, Raytho. Very cool name. uh, Danielle Seagal. Pat Stubbs. B. Fred. Your name here. And New Girl 17. Is you is your name here a, a person or is that just something I'm, <laughs> I'm saying like you could your name could be here uh, too. It's possible that a uh, one of those auto billboards has decided to uh, start uh, patronizing the show. Uh, but <laughs> if you would like your name here, you can head on over to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod and uh, sign up. Give us as little as a buck and uh, we will read all new patrons going forward so a uh, good way to get a little shout out and um and I, I i have to say we are also super excited we're sort of looking for the the real i mean look patrons get a ton of great stuff uh they get the show ad free they get uh, our interaction in the Patreon community. Um, they get uh, uh, all of our special uh, episodes that we've done so far. Uh, but we're really looking for a way to um, give a special shout out, us to do something unique for our $2 and up patrons. And so here's something we're going to try. Uh, and that is, can you beat AG and Andrew at Trivia? And I can't wait for this. AG, you set this up. You want to talk a little bit about uh, how this is going to work? Yeah, we're going to do it on Zoom. It's for our $2 and up patrons. And uh, our friend Dallas McLaughlin is going to host. And you're going to create, uh, we'll put a post on Patreon. You're going to get five people together for your trivia team. You're going to come up with a name for your trivia team. And you're going to reply to that post with the name of your team and your members. And uh, then, you know, you guys have to set up a way to communicate 
outside of Zoom, whether it's uh, a Facebook Messenger group text or whether it's a, you know, a phone group text or whether you want to do it on Twitter DM room or a conference call, however you want to communicate with each other. And uh, then Dallas will ask us questions. Andrew and I will be on a team. There's only two of us on our team. So you have a decided <laughs> advantage by being able to have up to five people on your team. There's going to be a limited number of slots. So look for that post. When are we going to put that post up? It should be up now, right, Andrew? Oh, yeah, that'll that'll be up uh, before you hear this show. Great. And it's it's just going to be super fun. It's going to take about anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour to complete the game. Uh, and come up with, you know, the trivia team name, I think, is the ultimate thing. If you've ever played pub trivia or live trivia, the team name is really where it's at. <laughs> and so think, think long and hard about that. We're probably going to have a special... Um, round of trivia during there's usually about five rounds during the game we'll have probably have a special 80s pop culture movie reference <laughs> round uh, <laughs> just so that we can be ringers for that uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun and i hope you'll join us yeah absolutely i am really really looking forward to it all right so with that out of the way thanks again to everybody who supported the show continuing to support the show um I think we've got some news to dive into. Yeah, we've got a lot of cleanup going on, aside from the fact that uh, Deb Holland was just confirmed as Interior Secretary. And Joe Biden has sent the names of his three nominees for the U.S. Postal Service Board of Governors to the Senate for confirmation. So that's where that is, in case anybody's wondering, because we're just trying to clean up DeJoy at this point. Uh, But for a long time during the Trump administration, we've been asking CDC, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Um, for mealy-mouthed and whitewashed investigative reports filed about COVID conditions and meatpacking plants to the blatant downplay of the severity of the virus and the pandemic from the from the beginning, there were a lot of sketchy things going on at the CDC, not to mention Caputo <laughs> being named the public relations and communications chief for HHS, which was what? And so now federal health officials in Biden's CDC have identified several controversial (laughs) pandemic recommendations that have been released during the, you know, that other guy's administration that they say were, quote, not primarily authored by the staff. And this will maybe not shock you. Don't reflect the best available scientific evidence. No. (laughs) Yeah. So the review identified three documents that had already been removed from the agency's website. One of them, released in July, delivered a pretty compelling case for school reopenings and, uh, in order to get there, downplayed the health risks. Um, new CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, said that the document was controversial because it was released weeks after Trump criticized the agency's earlier recommendations as being, quote, and I'm not going to do a Trump voice, very tough and expensive, but it's not hard to hear that in the back of your head. Not having to hear Trump's voice has been one of the three greatest accomplishments (laughs) of the Biden administration. So um, anyway, um, so that document had this big opening preamble, right? Fact finding that extolled the importance of in-school classes that was presented as if it was a CDC document. But the agency was, and I know this will shock you, not part of the discussion or drafting. Um, that guidance was later removed in October. 
Um, Walensky said, this is something I will not allow as CDC director. The processes we have in place moving forward will ensure that this cannot and will not occur. Yeah. And and a second set of guidelines that they removed about the country's reopening, they were released in April by the White House. Uh, and it was far less detailed than what had been drafted by the CDC and, the, and FEMA. Yep. And a third guidance issued in August discouraging testing of people without symptoms, even when they had contact with infected individuals. <laughs> that was replaced in September after experts and scientists and people with brains <laughs> inside and outside the agency raised alarms. So um, here's uh, this is interesting. Andrew, who ordered this review? OK, so the review was ordered by Walensky as part of her pledge to restore trust in the agency. Right. A cleanup on aisle 45 <laughs> that she called in. Right. Um, and and look again. Remember, in these executive agencies, you have career professionals and they're looking around. They are seeing that they are doing their best to be a part of the process, but their recommendations and reports kept getting watered down by the Trump administration because, you know, we had to politicize the pandemic. So uh, according to a memo from the agency's current principal deputy director, that's Anne Shuchat, uh, the review was done to ensure that all CDC recommendations are evidence-based and free of politics. Her memo does not identify who wrote the three Trump guidances, but the review confirms what was rather obvious to you and I and most of us all along, that Trump political hacks ordered revisions to critical guidance in order to fit their narrative, whatever it was at the time. Yeah, that whole downplaying, right? And in, in addition to the three documents not written by CDC staff, the review also cited recommendations that should have used stronger language. It's too too strict, too expensive. They should have used stronger language and should have cited su supporting scientific briefs, you know, just some citations of science. The memo also says too often it was difficult to decipher the core recommendations in long guidance documents and the crux of what was new or changed was difficult to find. Uh, another example here, the review board found instances in which guidance used weaker language such as considerations and if feasible even though evidence supported stronger recommendations these came out of those some of those meat packing plant investigations like have your employees wear masks but they put have employees wear masks where feasible i know matto did a whole side-by-side -side comparison of, of of one of these reports of the original report written by the scientists and the mealy-mouthed one that came out later from uh who knows who wrote the report, uh, who, who revised the report. But, you know, they, they just side by side, the language was just watered down. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, officials have now released or updated more than a dozen major guidances, including eight uh, since January 20th alone, which is when Walensky became director of the CDC. Also a pretty important date in human history. Right. Um those uh, those updating documents include recommendations for wearing masks that fit properly, um, including double masking. And, and of course, like, you know, that's I, I guess we don't have time to go down the rabbit trail of, you know, oh, first you said one mask, then you said two masks, I, you know, getting getting through to those folks. But but right. Yeah. Because you watered it down in the first place. We had to come back and come back with appropriate guidance for people who, you know, didn't think it needed to go over their nose. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> rant over. Um, hey, 
a, a, a roadmap, really, for how to safely open schools, right? Like, this is... It, it, this is one of the weird ones that has been politicized, right? Because both political parties want to reopen our schools. Democrats want to fund reopening schools and create guidance so that we can do so without, you know, killing a whole bunch of kids. Um, and then finally, guidelines for fully vaccinated people. That's I mean, that's a thing that a lot of people don't understand, you know, in terms of uh, multiple strains of the virus, continued additional risk. And, you know, as as we cycle through that process, that's going to continue to be really really important so um so good work by uh walensky yeah and the school thing to you know all every single republican voted against funding schools so that they can have the proper ventilation <sighs> and and things that they need to safely reopen a bunch of republicans are coming out saying oh biden broke a promise schools aren't reopened and he said in his first hundred days uh so let's wait till we get to at least day 100 uh, before we start, I mean, math is hard, to be fair. Uh, and, I, it, and, and, and look like I would rather, right, if on day 100, <laughs> Joe Biden says, look, it's way worse than we thought. All of our teachers aren't vaccinated and this would be a potential disease vector. So, you know, it's going to take us X more days to reopen schools like that's not breaking a promise. That's called smart leadership yeah and when you have governors like abbott and reeves uh, and you know all, re just fully reopening their states and uh yep. and causing spikes and and then they're going to be like oh biden didn't reopen the schools in texas like he promised it, it, it that's just going to be there those are going to be the talking points you know what i mean it, it's yep yep mm. Absolutely. Very, very frustrating. But a lot of good work being done at the CDC. The CDC is okay. Uh, and <laughs> I'm very happy about that. We aren't going to see any more of these watered-down reports. We're going to see actual recommendations with teeth uh, and a little bit of, you know, verve <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of, hey, you know, yeah, your your meatpacking plant there in, in, in South Dakota is the biggest outbreak in the universe. Uh, but, you know, wear masks only if, if feasible, feasible. <laughs> and uh, don't wash your hands when you can stagger shifts if it's a, if it's OK, you know, just absolutely terrible, terrible uh, reports just to align with the political views of the former guy who has been downplaying this pandemic since the beginning. Remember those Woodward tapes? <laughs> And, and and this is really a roadmap for other executive agencies, right? To Look, I, I don't care. I'm not interested in a witch hunt to root out uh, everybody who was responsible for watering down the reports. But but here's here's what I do know. Right. Um, ver prior versions of documents get circulated and saved they're in email files and so uh, i i sincerely hope that other biden appointees are issuing similar directives to say okay look is there a way to determine if there are things that are uh, fouling up our process right that are, that have been historical roadblocks where we make recommendations and they get overridden politically. Um, and so, you know, this really does provide a good template for something that that Biden has said since his campaign days, uh, which is replacing political determinations with science, evidence and fact based ones. And everybody ought to be behind that. Yeah. And we're going to be seeing this a lot.
<laughs> in the coming years of, of revisions and and cleanup, cleanup on L45. We've got a lot more show to get to, everybody, so stick around. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey, everybody, it's AG for Clean Up on Aisle 45. Do you ever listen to Andrew and I talk and you want to interject? You have something to say. You have an opinion. Well, now you can interject those opinions and ask us questions because we go live on the Stereo app where you can ask us questions directly. Join us for the Clean Up on Aisle 45 after-party Q&A for uncensored opinions and exclusive content only available on our Stereo app shows. I love the Stereo app. I'm there all the time. And uh, you can follow me and get notified every time I go live. I'm at Allison Gill. Or you can follow Andrew at, at Tor. We take a deep dive into a variety of topics, and we interact directly with listeners. So download the Stereo app, go to Stereo.com slash Allison Gill, and there's a link in the description, too, and you can join us over there. Stereo app has thousands of live social conversations on a wide range of genres and interests, including us, you know, our legal news stuff and politics, comedy, sports, anything you want, and more. And you can choose whether to be a co-host, participate as a guest, or just listen in on exclusive conversations. So we'll see you for the cleanup on aisle 45 after party every Tuesday at 5. 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. AG, as a lead-in to our fantastic interview with Adam Fernandez about Vanita Gupta, President Biden's nominee for Associate Attorney General, I, I thought we'd look at some of the things that the acting Associate Attorney General and the DOJ in general have been up to over the past week. Um First, to start off, I, I I was a little moved by this, but, you know, Merrick Garland finally got to address the troops last Thursday after his uh, confirmation by, <clears throat> again, 70 to 30. <laughs> yeah, hit that nail on the head, didn't I? Uh, it was wonderful to see, too. He pulled up in, in the SUV, got out all of the uh, there was a, a great deal, great, uh, like a large number of Department of Justice employees out there to welcome him, applauding him. Um, it was it was nice to watch. And uh, it was really interesting, the, um, by the way, it, re- it reiterated his his statement to to the Department of Justice employees reiterated some of the remarks from Garland's nomination speech that we recognize in our intro music, including rather pointedly <laughs> noting that justice requires that there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans. And right before that, Merrick Garland specifically called out that the only way to retain the trust of the American people is to adhere to the norms that have been part of the Department of Justice since, and this struck me as intentional, Edward Levy's stint as the <laughs> first post-Watergate attorney general. He brought that name up in his confirmation hearing, his initial remarks, his remarks to the troops. Uh, when we say troops, we mean Department of Justice employees. Uh, so, yeah, Edward Levy's stint is the first post-Watergate attorney general. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, so, so if you're looking for an indication that Merrick Garland, perhaps as, a, you know, one of his top three agenda items to investigate and maybe prosecute Trump era corruption. That's that's not a bad tea leaf to be reading. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think it's also no surprise uh, that he went straight to work. The very first thing Garland was briefed on after he was sworn in, signed his little paper on day one was the insurrection, which continues to suggest this is Department of Justice's top priority, Merrick Garland's top priority. Over the weekend, we received reports that Julian Cater and George Tanios had been arrested in connection with the death of Officer Brian Sicknick. Remember, they arrested that one guy who had bear spray, but we weren't sure if it was in connection with them closing in on because we had gotten that report that the Department of Justice was closing in on the Sicknick murder. Um, And, you know, Sicknick is the officer that was assaulted, sprayed with bear mace and then died the next day. 
Uh, these certainly look like the two guys who are recorded on video. You've probably seen saying, give me that bear shit. That's that's these these fellas. Yeah. Um, and and look, we've talked about how the first wave of indictments that came out um, were pretty thin. I have read the Cater and Tanio's charging documents, and these are serious felony charges. So 18 U.S.C. 111B makes it a federal crime to assault a federal officer with a deadly or dangerous weapon. Okay, And, and Bear Mace clearly applies right under the statute. That's punishable by up to 20 years in prison. And the base offense level is at least 16. So that ah, means, yeah. So this isn't one of those Manafort, you know, up to five years, but base level is zero to six months. Yeah, that that is correct. This means real jail time, no matter whether these two are first time offenders or not. Um, and and look, part of the complication here is that, um, and, and, and you, I think, sort of correctly parsed that out in, in your intro statement. Sicknick died the next day. We're still waiting on reports from medical experts um, as to whether that was directly caused by the chemicals that Cater and Tanios allegedly used. Um, it, it, we don't know. We do not have a medical expert opinion that, that draws a, a direct line. We're still waiting on that. But, but don't forget um, there were two other officers officers Edwards and Chapman who were also assaulted with bear mace now they they survived uh, they were temporarily blinded they have suffered in some cases what appear to be permanent lasting injuries including scabbing under the eyes um the the, the two officers said uh this is whatever was sprayed on them was as vicious as any you know chemical materials that uh, that they've used or been exposed to. Um, so so there are three 18 U.S.C. 111 counts, right? Um, one for each of the three officers. Uh, plus, there is the conspiracy to injure an officer under 18 U.S.C. 372. That arises out of the, hey, give me that bear shit, right? Like you, you planned to take uh, potentially dangerous stuff. And then you said, Hey, you know, give it to me and, uh, and, and started spraying. Um, so that's another felony. Um, plus there are the usual obstructing an official proceeding, violent entry upon the Capitol grounds, uh, all of those. Um, and, and again, you know, the DOJ might not be done with these two yet. Right. Because if, if medical professionals find a connection between the death of officer Sicknick and the bear spray, we could be looking at murder, manslaughter style charges, right? And then, and another question for you to to unpack here is, if there were three officers assaulted uh, with a deadly or dangerous weapon, is that three times twenty years? So the way in which you operate, <laughs> the the way in which you calculate an offense level in the federal sentencing guidelines is is kind of complicated. You don't just if you have one that's a sixteen and one that's a fourteen, you don't just add them together and get a thirty. There's a there's a sort of a complicated formula for how you aggregate when um, when you're charged with with multiple offenses. Um, it, it will not it will not aggregate the the top line um, statutory maximum. So you won't get to more than 20 years uh, on this particular offense. No matter um, how many. Officers no matter you no assault. matter how many of those. Uh, but 
the combination of the assault, if if it were to take you into uh, the the level of the of the table, right? That's the difference between uh, offense level forty two and offense level forty three, right? Forty three is the bottom line. That is life imprisonment, right? Um, and forty two is three hundred and sixty months to life imprisonment. Um, and so uh, it, you you absolutely could at 360 months, obviously that's 30 years, the way in which you get to um, you get higher up the table is by aggregating together more counts and more aggravation. And I will tell you um, if the calculation begins uh, as a homicide, Right. So if if so, if a medical professional finds a, a link between sickness, death and this bear spray. Yep, that is exactly right. So assume then that that would that that would begin uh, as uh, being being treated for purposes of the sentencing guideline as either a second degree murder uh, or a conspiracy to commit murder charge. Right. Right. Because of the give me the bear shit. Yep. Uh, then those <laughs> those base offense levels begin at 33 and 38 respectively. And I will tell you, it does not take much, right? The aggravation uh, to get from there to 42 or 43 um, is uh, it, it, it would almost certainly be met in this case. So hmm. um, so, yeah, they <laughs> they're the the lawyers for uh, Cater and Tanios. I. I think have an awfully big incentive to uh, to try and pursue some kind of plea deal right now. Yes, it's not going to get better and quickly. Uh, and this is different from what we saw on Zip Tie Guy, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So so look, in addition to what we just talked about with respect to starting off at a high offense level. Um, the, the evidence in the affidavit is really, really strong, right? Like this, you can, you can search it out and find it. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, it, it, at part of what was possible on zip tie guy, uh, is that the sentencing guidelines have four separate zones, right? And those zones control whether you get, uh, Prison only, that's zone D. Whether you can get the split sentence, right, half incarceration, then half supervised relief or uh, release or or home detention. Um, zone B, whether you can get probation or zone A, the, you know, the Papadopoulos zone where you get probation only, uh, no confinement, but, you know, sort of six months of, of probation. Um, every single one of these starts in zone D. There's no chance of getting below that level, even if these are first time offenders. So interesting. Okay. Wow. And finally, um, something else interesting here, Department of Justice through acting assistant attorney general, Brian Boynton. That's the job to which Vanita Gupta is nominated. You mentioned that earlier. We're going to be talking to Adam Fernandez about the nomination and confirmation hearing of Vanita Gupta a little bit later in the show. Uh, the DOJ has just filed a brief in a case called Alabama Association of Realtors v. Department of Health and Human Services in connection with the CDC's moratorium on residential evictions. So tell us what this is about. Yeah. So um, as you as you sort of went over in the A segment, right, the CDC, it, it, it hasn't been all bad. It's but but some of their rulings, some of their recommendations have been scaled back. One of the things that they've done that um, has very clearly helped uh, manage the, the, the COVID-19 crisis is 
in September of 2020, the CDC acting under, in my mind, what is clearly delegated congressional authority, directed um, a nationwide moratorium on residential evictions. Okay, so their order says a landlord or residential property owner cannot evict a payment, a tenant for non-payment of rent. Right now that that does not forgive the rental obligation, right? That just continues to accrue. Uh, but it says you can't kick them out of the property right now, which, you know, makes a lot of sense um, to receive those protections. The tenant has to file an affidavit. They have to assert seven different things um, that their income is below a certain level that they've applied for federal rent relief, right? They've got to do certain things. Um, and that order, uh, but, but if the, if the tenant does that, then, they can't be kicked out of, of their apartment or rental property. Um, set to expire on December 31st, got extended to, of 2020, got extended to March 31st of this year, will probably get extended again before it expires, right? I would assume. Um, and a bunch of landlord organizations have sued to try and block this order, as you might imagine, right? Um, but most of them have lost. Uh, but there was a case that got a lot of attention last week called Skyworks versus CDC. Um, it was in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Ohio. The judge there was J. Philip Calabrese, who was a Trump appointee, Federalist Society guy. Um, and he ruled that the CDC lacked the authority to issue that moratorium in the first place and so that it was invalid. Hmm. OK. Um, but interestingly, he did not issue an injunction in that case. He issued declaratory relief. Okay. And so what that the 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 significance of that is that means the Skyworks plaintiffs, right? Those landlords get the right to go evict their particular tenants in the northern district of Ohio. Um, or at least uh, until uh, an appellate court steps in and enjoins Calabrese's order, which I expect may happen. Right. Um, but nobody else does. Right. Not even if you are in a neighboring district. Right. If you're in the eastern district of Ohio, um, that order does not apply to you. And uh, a, a, a fellow judge is sort of free to say um, yeah, you know, we think they got that one wrong over there in the Northern District, right? Um, and that's essentially what's happened, right? So on Friday, the DOJ weighed in on your Alabama Association case, and they said because the the, the plaintiffs in that case, the Alabama Association of Realtors and and um, uh, and various other landlords said, look, um, we are appealing to this court that says, hey, look, you should know this case came out last week and you should take notice of this authority. And the DOJ responded to that notice of additional authority and was like, yeah, look, the Skyworks case, that's just a single judge and he's wrong. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And 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 so I think there are really two important takeaways here. Right. Um, the first, at, as I'd explained um, there is no injunction. There was certainly no nationwide injunction. So unless you live in Ohio, right, you, you are still covered, assuming you've otherwise qualified for relief. You are covered until the end of March by the existing CDC anti-eviction order. And again, you have to have filed that affidavit. Don't take legal advice from a podcast, right? <laughs> I'm not I'm not your lawyer here, uh, but but it, it, it does not 
right, descriptively that doesn't apply anywhere else. And number two, that the DOJ intends to defend that moratorium everywhere else while that Skyworks case is litigated. So, you know, that's that's going to help prevent people from getting kicked out of their apartment. Yeah, well, that's that's good to hear. Yeah. And I wonder if CDC will uh, extend that moratorium. Um here in the next couple of weeks, we'll stay on top of it for you and let you know that yep. I, I, I'm assuming it would be them. It would be Dr. Rochelle Walensky that would do that. Yeah, that's right. And and look, the CDC is authorized very, very broadly. It's 42 U.S.C. 264. And it says they are authorized by Congress to make and enforce such regulations as in its judgment are necessary to prevent the introduction, transmission or spread of communicable diseases from one state or possession into any other state or possession that'll do certainly like kicking a whole bunch of people out of their apartments you know seems like uh that would be within their purview so yeah oh 100 percent yeah i i would i would think so and it's really interesting do you think the judge didn't issue an injunction because he's dumb (laughs) so i i don't think so right like it like did he just forget or or... no he, he he considered uh whether to issue injunctive relief in the Skyworks case, but said, um, I think that the appropriate resolution here uh, to these plaintiffs is declaratory judgment, right? Is to say, um, I I think in order to resolve the actual controversy within this jurisdiction, I am going to declare that these plaintiffs have the right to evict their non-paying tenants. Um, And I, I, don't want to wade into, you know, uh, a, a national debate. And look, like whether that is a recognition that, uh, you know, a tacit recognition that that his reading of the uh, Administrative Procedure Act and the, the statute that I just read to you is probably not tenable. You know, I don't I don't want to say I it, Judge Calabrese is not, um, it, you know, he's he's a smart guy. Um, he's just a, you know, right wing guy. Hmm. Uh, well, we'll we'll keep everybody posted on that. And uh, right after this break, uh, uh, Andrew, you and I get to talk to Adam Fernandez. He's oh, from man. Lawyers for Good Government. <laughs> We're going to discuss the Vanita Gupta confirmation hearing and some of the other, you know, essential functions of the of the civil rights unit at the Department of Justice. And it's it's good. It's an absolutely incredible conversation. I hope you'll stick around for it. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Thanks for listening to Clean Up on Aisle 45. This episode is brought to you by Policy Genius. It's March already. Spring has sprung. It's time for some spring cleaning and getting the house in order. And you can also get a head start by revisiting your home and auto insurance with Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you set two birds free with one key. You can compare home and auto insurance rates and save up to $1,055 per year by reshopping. That is money you can put towards things you really care about. So, first of all, you head to policygenius.com. You answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then, Policy Genius will take it from there. They'll compare rates to 30 top insurers from Progressive to Nationwide and find you the lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team will look at all the ways to maximize your savings too, including bundling your home and auto policies. If Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. It's no wonder that with that level of service, Policy Genius has earned a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. And if you're worried that this year is flying by and you've barely gotten anything done, take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this month in minutes. Just reshop your home and auto insurance and you could save up to $1,055. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we are lucky to be joined by Adam Fernandez. He's the Vice President of Policy and Strategic Engagement at Lawyers for Good Government. And we're going to discuss the nomination of Anita Gupta to the Civil Rights Division of Department of Justice. Adam, welcome. Yeah. uh, Thanks again for having me, AG. Andrew, great to finally meet you. (laughs) Likewise. So uh, let's talk a little bit um, before we get into uh, the hearing of Vanita Gupta that actually took place. Uh, this past week. Tell us a little bit about some of the obstacles that we've faced in seating uh, a person to head the Criminal Rights Division at the Department of Justice, if you wouldn't mind. Of course. Yeah. So uh, I'm a civil rights attorney who's worked on nominations in D.C. uh, over the past decade. Uh, I knew the attacks against Vanita Gupta were going to be disingenuous and gross uh, because, frankly, they always are against nominees of color and especially those that devote their lives to civil rights and to ensuring people from marginalized communities have equal access to justice. Uh, On the Daily Beans, a few weeks ago, and I recommend listening to that one too, Um, I I mentioned uh, how back in the 1960s, you could nominate the lead civil rights lawyer in the US, Thurgood Marshall, to the Supreme Court and get him confirmed. Um, But these days, uh, like like, uh, most recently in the Obama administration, um, uh, you try nominating a civil rights leader to a position of the Department of Justice, and it opens the floodgates to some really vicious attacks. I personally think we can solve a lot of Americans' problems if we can get back to where we were in the 1960s and normalize getting Thurgood Marshall's successors like Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark into the administration and onto the courts. Yeah. And the weird thing, too, is is that, like, I mean, if we had nominated an old white guy to lead the Civil Rights Division, there would be a lot of pushback for that, too. So it's just sort of this double-edged sword uh, if you're a Democrat nominating someone to sit at civil rights uh, in, in the Department of Justice, because you're either going to get pushed back because it's an old white guy or you're going to get pushed back, rightfully so, by the way, or you're going to get pushed back because of who it is, uh, because the Republicans are just the way that they are. Right. Because at the end of the day, uh, like the, the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, uh, their job is to enforce things like, uh, you know, uh, voting rights laws. Uh, <laughs> And it's so important uh, that we have people who are experienced to do this kind of work, like Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark. You know, regardless of of their their you know race and ethnicity, um, they, you need you need people who've devoted their lives to voting rights to lead the civil rights division at the Department of Justice. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and. I, I guess we got kind of a peek as to how this is going to go. Uh, beginning last Tuesday, uh, uh, Vanita Gupta had her uh, hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, this is after uh, Gary Severino's Judicial Action Watch, you know, smear group has been portraying her as, uh, you know, radical Antifa terrorist. Um, what did you see in that hearing? You know, what, what are sort of your, your, your top line uh, thoughts? from what we saw last week. So, yeah, I mean, I honestly saw racism and sexism on full display at Benita <sighs> Gupta's hearing. Um, so the hearing also included Lisa Monaco, national security expert, to be the uh, the number two at the Department of Justice. And Vanita Gupta is nominated to be the number three at the Department of Justice. Um, but if you didn't know that going in and you watched it, you'd think that 
Gupta was nominated to the senior position because she received the vast majority of the questions. Um, and although her answers were pretty darn similar to Garland's and Monaco's, they kept asking Gupta the same questions over and over again. She was interrupted like at least 15 times. Um, they used overtly sexist language like salacious to describe her work advocating for marginalized communities. But it's not just the gross things that they said, it's who's saying them and why. So take, for example, Cornyn, who as Texas Attorney General gave a Lawman of the Year award to Tom Coleman, corrupt cop who framed predominantly Black, but also white and Latina Texans for crimes they didn't commit. Gupta, working at Thurgood Marshall's NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, succeeded in getting 38 of them free. And the corrupt cop was later convicted of perjury. So some people believe that uh, matters in, uh, in the world of law is uh, all that matters is getting convictions, and they don't particularly care if police work uh, ranges from shoddy to downright criminal like it was in Tilia. Wait, so a criminal attorney, a criminal attorney general did did criminally <laughs> things. That's really interesting because uh, 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 attorney General Attorney General Paxton is under indictment himself, isn't he? Uh, indeed, he is. Uh, but it's it's not just like I I don't want to say I don't have uh, any evidence that uh, Cornyn did any of this on purpose. Uh, but I do want to say that he fostered an environment um, that allowed testimony from one crooked cop alone to be the sole basis of 38 convictions that were later overturned. Well, tell, tell us what you mean by, by fostering that environment. So, uh, he gave, uh, like, uh, the, the, <laughs> the corrupt cop, a lawman of the year award. Um, and, uh, whereas Gupta, you know, looked looked into uh, what, what something that had a, a racially disproportionate impact, um, and saw that there was there is some literal perjury involved. Uh, the the cop ended up getting convicted of perjury, uh, uh, and she managed to get. Uh, you know, a pardons from the the Republican conservative uh, governor of Texas for those uh, thirty eight people who were were victims of the crime. Um, so, we, we, I mean, we should underscore just how amazing both halves of that are, right? Like it 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 is incredibly rare for a prosecutor to bring perjury charges against anybody after subsequent testimony, let alone a cop. Uh, and I, those may be the only, uh, you know, pardons secured by anybody in Texas, uh, you know, in the past two decades. So that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. And it sounds to me like the heart and soul of what uh, an experienced and skilled um, person would be doing at the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice. I mean, that's kind of the bread and butter, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there, uh, another thing that's bread and butter of, of the, the Department of Justice, especially the Civil Rights Division, um, is, is voting rights. Um, like, frankly, uh, like as we mentioned in the beginning, like uh, there's a reason why some of these attacks are so vile and disgusting. It's because uh, they, they don't want to come out and say that the reason they don't want them is they don't want these experienced voting rights leaders uh, running uh, the, uh, the Department of Justice. Uh, one of the very few things I'll miss about Trump 
is how he always managed to say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> um, he said that Republicans would never be elected again if it were easier uh, for people of color to vote. Yeah. Now, I personally don't think that's true, but uh, like they just have to change their platform. Um, Th- Thomas Hofeller had a hard drive that was labeled that. I <laughs> yep. mean, you know, <laughs> we had we had somebody this week named Kavanaugh, not not the Supreme Court justice, but somebody named Kavanaugh actually said in a court filing, not everyone should vote. Not everyone should be allowed to vote. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much kind of word for word there. Uh, so, yeah, quiet part out loud. And what do we have? Over 250 now lawsuits uh, across the country, 13 in, in Arizona alone, like trying to disenfranchise uh, voters of color. And so it's 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 clear to me from, you know, from the, the side that decries cancel culture uh, <laughs> that they want to cancel the votes of, of, of people of color in this country and disenfranchised communities. Uh, for obvious reasons, and you know, you brought up the Hofeller files, mm-hmm. uh, which just flat out said, "Here's ways we can draw lines to disenfranchise to help white Republicans." And so it's, you know, I mean, every, the, the, it seems so clear to to me, but I just don't understand how how Republicans can't see it or Republican voters can't see that that's what's happening. Yeah, at the end of the day, uh, I. I do believe that, you know, it's in everyone's best interest uh, to have easy access to the vote for everyone. I think it's wrong uh, that that Republicans uh, can't be elected uh, if, if everyone has easy access to the vote. I think, you know, the uh, the way that, uh, you know, the election in 2020 did with expanded, um, you know, uh, mail in ballots like that, it's hard to say that uh, any one party was advantaged by that. Uh, and I, as a principal, the two of the most experienced voting rights attorneys in the country are Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark. And that's exactly why we need them uh, in the Department of Justice. And exactly why, because Republicans think like this, this fallacy um, that they can't get elected without uh, these voting rights in, uh, infringements. Uh, that's why they uh, they are working so hard against both Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark. Well, I I have I've seen what look like three arguments that are being advanced uh, against Vanita Gupta, and um, I'm curious your evaluation. You could. Talk about the merits or lack thereof, but also sort of, you know, whether these blows are landing. Right. And those three arguments and, and, and this appears to be it. Right. Seem to be uh, number one, um, th- that she said some mean things on Twitter, uh, which, you know, clearly uh, these folks have not hung around uh, all of our respective Twitter feeds. Um, number two, uh, that uh, she wrote in an op ed about a decade ago. Uh, that drugs ought to be decriminalized, which, you know, the, I, I think I'm probably in in more agreement with that op ed than her subsequent testimony. But um, and then uh, and then third, um, her position sort of and this doesn't appear to be grounded in any actual prior documents, but, you know, uh, apparently, uh, you know, she's a secret Antifa sleeper cell agent who wants to defund the police, which, again, you know, sort of led to the testimony. And we could talk about, you know, if, if we have the time, like 
the the is is she in the risk of you know alienating some of her supporters on the left with you know kind of marshalling together the support of um, pretty much every major you know police law enforcement agency the fraternal order of police and so some some groups that you know I I don't know that I I would want to have their seal of approval on on mine but I I fed you a lot um what what, what are your thoughts thoughts yeah so. I listened to that entire hearing and I kept waiting for them to tell tell us what the mean things she said on Twitter they're talking yeah. <laughs> about. Um, this is in part because, you know, I, I too, and, and a, uh, have a decent Twitter presence. I, I know the two of you have decent Twitter presences. You know, I, I have followed Vanita's Twitter feed pretty darn closely over the years. Um, and I try to maintain a lawyerly persona on Twitter. And frankly, I thought she did too. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I do, I do not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can never be, I could never do go through one of these confirmation hearings. If they thought, if they thought Vanita Gupta and Neera Tanden were mean on Twitter, uh, I'll, I'll never get there. Yeah. So like, I, like one of the few things that they brought up was that, you know, they, she said something that I considered rather mild saying that, you know, uh, you know, uh, Brett Kavanaugh shouldn't be confirmed. And I, I was like, did, did you listen to Kavanaugh's hearing? He promised <laughs> to like to like uh, bring the fire of God down on uh, down on Democrats who had he felt that had like you know betrayed him. These are not um, like it. It's right to be mildly upset that Kavanaugh uh, it like is is going through um, and. Uh, uh, I just I don't see it. Uh, and if you know, like telling what I consider to be the truth on Twitter <laughs> is an attack, <laughs> then, oh, boy, uh, we we've got some serious problems getting anyone confirmed. But yeah, I, long story short, I think that's a very disingenuous attack uh, that they're using because uh, Neera Tanton's uh, nomination failed, nominally because uh, of of the issue of tweets. Yeah. And, and oh, no, let me unclutch my pearls that someone thought Kavanaugh shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. Um, before uh, we get out of here, I, I wanted to go back to voting rights for just a second because you talked you you touched on something very important and how this also hurts republican voters uh these the this limiting the access to the ballot box because i was wa- i was watching braveheart the other night which i've seen a lot <laughs> and there's this part where they're having a battle and king longshanks goes archers and the guy goes won't we hit our own troops and he goes yes but we'll hit theirs as well and uh that's sort of popped into my head what's going on with these the these uh, these bills to disenfranchise voters because I was talking to Adrian Fontes who works on Arizona elections and he was he was saying hey we've had an, a robust vote by mail system for a long time that benefited Republicans it benefited uh, all the retirees in Arizona voted by mail um, who who also don't have driver's licenses because you know they're they're retirees they just don't go out to get drivers because they don't drive anymore and so requiring ID and p- making people jump through all these hoops is going to disenfranchise Republican voters as well. It's unhealthy for the democracy to to limit access to the ballot box. Now, I mean, obviously, there's a long history of specifically targeting certain communities, but I just I can't get my head around the fact that Republicans are now 
anti-democracy and even like saying it out loud. Mike Lee saying rank democracy is the enemy of liberty or whatever the hell. Uh, just absolutely stunning blows my mind. And it's going to make Republic. Do you remember in the in the 2020 election where people were like, stop saying stop attacking <laughs> vote by mail. We have so many Republicans who do that. Uh, it, it was it's just it's it's pretty incredible. But they you know, I think their whole goal is, well, we'll hit theirs as well. And and that's just sort of the best excuse I can come up with. So one of the many deceptive things that uh, was said in that hearing, which I think is is like underline what you just said, A.G., um, it's that. You know, uh, working in civil rights as a civil rights attorney, I can say that the the purpose of civil rights law um, is to ensure that everyone, regardless of their background, um, has equal access to the law, equal access to justice, equal access to the vote. It's not about putting one group in, a, ahead of another. It's ensuring that every group has a fair shake. Um, and both Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark, whose hearing uh, will be upcoming within the next few weeks. So I, I'm trying to make sure that uh, we're, we're very clear on that as well. Um, both of them are, are real experts in this. Kristen Clark in particular leads the Lawyers Committee of, uh, for Civil Rights Under Law. Uh, they do an awful lot, but they're probably best known for their 866 Our Vote program that organizes attorneys to protect the right to the vote in all 50 states. Uh, I, I've testified before with, with Kristen, but I'm most proud of, of Lawyers for Good Government's partnership with the Lawyers Committee to help get them volunteer attorneys. Um, and like at the end of the day, cleaning up after Trump, there's nothing more important than ensuring access to the vote. And Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark um, they are the best candidates to work for the Department of Justice. And anyone who says otherwise just doesn't believe in the right to vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 is incredibly well said. Um, let, let, let me let me ask if uh, if you're willing to uh, to go out on the limb. Um, what, what what do you think the result is going to be in the uh, Judiciary Committee? And, and do you think that uh, uh, that? First, Vanita Gupta and then Kristen Clark are, are going to be confirmed by the full Senate. Is it going to be moderately bipartisan? Is it going to be a pretty narrow vote? What are you what's your gut telling you? I mean, I, I tr try not to predict the future <laughs> ever since, uh, you know, Donald Trump got elected. <laughs> I, I, I have a I have a sub 100 batting average. Yeah. So I, I, I feel you. I called the 70 to 30 for for Merrick Garland. You called that number for number. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that aside, uh, you know, I. I think that uh, the the thing that's most important is for your listeners to know that they have the power to affect how how this ends up. Um, frankly, every single senator uh, needs to hear that uh, that. Uh, that your listeners support civil rights leaders like Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark for positions at DOJ, uh, and that they support them for other positions in, in the administration and the courts. It's basically the same message of whether your senator is Republican or Democrat, um, because uh, at the end of the day, uh, senators also play an important role in who gets nominated to the courts in their state, and they need to hear that you want civil rights leaders like Thurgood Thur Thur Marshall on the courts again, um, and uh, in the administration again. Uh, and yeah, and so yeah, call your senators, uh, and uh, if if you'd like, you can still join uh, our 
uh, Lawyers for Good Government's uh, sign-on letter uh, supporting uh, Gupta and Clark. Uh, and and yeah, thanks again for having me. And that um, that um, you is that still your pinned tweet, Adam at Adam A E S Q. Is that still your pinned tweet to sign on to that letter to support? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, uh, it will continue to be my pinned tweet or a link to that will continue to be my pinned tweet until they are both confirmed. <laughs> and to, to your question, Andrew, I am confident that uh, if we all, uh, you know, get out there, uh, that they they will both be confirmed and uh, we'll have a lot more like them in, in the coming weeks and months. I, I, I wanted to underscore what uh, a fantastic piece of advice I think that is. And I and I just want to emphasize, as as you've said it, call on the phone. Do not send an email. Do not tweet at your senators. It, uh, they want to hear from constituents over the phone. I know that might seem archaic for a lot of you, but it makes a real difference. Um, Adam, thank you so much. <laughs> Some of those senators are, are pretty archaic, so you got to call on the phone. Uh, the landline. It just does. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. VP of Policy and Strategic Engagement at Lawyers for Good Government. Also, Adam A. Esquire, ESQ, on Twitter. Thank you very much. Adam Fernandez, appreciate your time. Thank you. Keep up the great work, man. Thanks. Hey, all. It's AG, and this segment of Cleanup on Aisle 45 is brought to you by my favorite thing ever. It's called Magic Spoon Cereal. It's so delicious, you will not believe it's also healthy. I have been a huge cereal fan since a child. used to plop down in front of Saturday morning cartoons uh, and watch them all and, and eat my cereal and then drink the delicious milk afterwards. I loved it. But as an adult, I had to give it up because of all the sugar and carbs and chemicals. That is where Magic Spoon has saved the day. It's delicious. You seriously won't believe it's made without all the sugar, carbs, or guilt. And as Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good, made without all the sugar... Uh, you know, and having so much nutritional value as opposed to none, Magic Spoon is probably the future of breakfast. Magic Spoon cereals amazingly have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part, it is really, really delicious, you guys. With four amazing flavors, vintage style, they've got cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It tastes incredible. It seems too good to be true, but it is not. My favorite flavor, flavor right now is cocoa. It is yummy and chocolatey, and it gives you that yummy chocolatey milk afterwards that you can drink. You can use snack on it dry, have it as a dessert. It's really amazing. Go to magicspoon.com cleanup, grab a variety pack, try all four flavors today, and be sure use promo code cleanup at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. And with free shipping, it's totally risk-free. That's magicspoon.com slash cleanup and use the code cleanup for the free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Everybody, welcome back. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> it's time to say goodbye to you. Well, welly well, we're going to begin with someone who isn't a Trump appointee, but we couldn't resist wishing a heartfelt goodbye to you to Piers Morgan, <laughs> who stormed, pouted his way. If you can possibly move by pouting, he pouted his way off of the set of Good Morning Britain after co-host Alex Beresford called out Morgan for his unhinged nonstop rants about Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, who once had the audacity and good taste 
to ghost him, to turn him down for a second date. Yeah. Uh, you know, you should be Duchess of something, AJ. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, maybe not Sussex, but, you know, somewhere. Duchess of Justice. D- Duchess of Justice. That's outstanding. But seriously, look, I never knew that Morgan had gone out with Meghan Markle on, like, I guess one date that, you know, apparently went real well. <laughs> um, According to him, they had a drink and he put her in a cab and then she went to a party where she met Harry and then never spoke to him again. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that either, Andrew. I was like, why does he hate Meghan Markle? Oh. Yeah, and, mm. and look like not disclosing when you're a news anchor commentator person like us, right? Not disclosing that you're doing a hit piece on a woman you tried to date is a massive conflict of interest, right? Like if I used to sleep with Bill Barr, like I have an ethical obligation to disclose that to you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have not so disclosed that. But, but yeah, so so here's what Beresford said. And I just love this, right? Like she's my new hero. She said, look, I, I, in that fantastic accent of hers that I will not attempt to emulate. I understand that you don't like Meghan Markle. You've made it so clear a number of times on this program. And I understand you've got a personal relationship with her or had one and she cut you off. She's entitled to cut you off if she wants to. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but yet you continue to trash her. Mm. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. Uh, and just... <laughs> He, he he was so mad. I was like, I'm out of here. And he just t- gets up and walks out. Yep. Uh, he, he, even without uh, his ethical lapses, Piers Morgan has been super shitty for a very long time. Oh, yeah. In 2014, 2014, Morgan interviewed trans activist Janet Mock with a chyron that said Janet Mock was a boy until age 18. <sighs> Misgendered her on air. And tweeted out, and this is just gross. I hate I hate to even read this, but he said, quote, how would you feel if you found out the woman you were dating was formerly a man? When Mock called him out for it, he blamed her for failing to appreciate how he was highlighting, quote, her inspiring story. Uh, it, yeah. And and look, Piers Morgan has slut shamed a ton of women in his far too long career from Kim Kardashian to Susan Sarandon, if you remember that. And look, and every single time he gets called out for being a sexist jerk, he uses the Rush Limbaugh epithet feminazi. You can Google it on his Twitter feed if you, you know don't want to maintain a healthy relationship with the lunch you ate a couple of hours ago. Um, it, 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 it's just, it's just gr- like adult human beings who aren't monsters should not use the epithet feminazi. Um, and adult human beings should maybe shut the hell up about stuff that doesn't concern you. Like, you know, Susan Sarandon's cleavage. Yeah. And you could sort of hear it in his exp- in his description. Cause you know, after this people went and found the little interview where he talked about how he had a date with her. You could just hear his, it was just dripping with misogyny, right? Like we had a drink. She was drinking. She was drinking. Mentioned that a few times she was drinking i put her in a cab i put her in a cab because she's you know uh incapable of getting her own cab uh and clearly just a drunk slut right ready to go out and then went to another party because she's a heathen whore and then met harry there you know it's just like oh just stop just it's gross so guess what pierce bye-bye bye-bye <laughs> and um 
this isn't quite as as high profile a story, but the exodus of Trump appointed U.S. attorneys continues. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, uh, this week we bid goodbye to Seth Ducharme. No, Ducharme. Was... It's Ducharme. <laughs> I didn't want to be accused of saying that he's got a Ducharme. So uh, anyway, I do know that he is one of Bill Barr's hatchet men who was then made, you know, <laughs> acting U.S. attorney for the Eastern district of new york that is um that's the district that includes brooklyn queens staten island part of long island i'm just i'm just going through this yeah wait, wait, i mean i just want i'd like i am a douchebag here here be sh- here is my handle here is my spout yeah i just yep. I'm, this is all i can see when i think of seth oh god yeah he's he's the worst and uh, he's gone it, well well we have uh, when this show airs we will have two more days to deal with Mr. Ducharme. He <laughs> resigns effective March 19th, allowing Mark Lesko, a just long-standing Democrat, former director of Accelerate Long Island, which was designed to bring uh, venture capital to to Long Island firms, um, to become acting U.S. attorney for the Eastern District. So uh, goodbye to you. Bye-bye. Bye. And with the exodus of Trumpers, we have some incoming appointees, including Andrea T. Martinez, who becomes the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Utah. Under the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, she becomes the first Latina to hold the position and she'll stay in office until a permanent Biden nominee is confirmed by the Senate. So. Not bye bye. Yeah, hello, hello, and <laughs> you also say goodbye. <laughs> I, say, I say hello, hello, hello. And we also welcome Lisa G. Johnston, an acting you as acting U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of West Virginia. Uh, this isn't a Federal Vacancies Reform Act appointment. She's a career prosecutor who moves up. Who she moved up through the ranks, and uh, thanks to the departure of Trumper Mike Stewart, she is now the acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District of West Virginia. Yeah. So. so so goodbye to that dude, and uh, good luck to Johnston. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, welcome Deb Holland. Absolutely. She has been confirmed uh, as the Secretary of the Interior. Just tears of joy. 51 to 40 was the vote. Uh, and several Republicans voted for her. So where I don't know where everybody was today. Um, yeah, I don't. I I saw that news break right as we went to record, but I I do not know. It's just it's a Monday, and folks are taking a long weekend. I, I don't know. <laughs> I oh, yeah, yes, you know, rain. I don't know. I re- I honestly don't know. But we will have more comings and goings and bye byes and hellos. Uh, next week on Cleanup on Aisle 45. This has been awesome. Thanks again to Adam Fernandez. You can follow him at Adam A-E-S-Q on Twitter. And you can follow me at Allison Gill or at Muller She Wrote or at Daily Beans Pod. Those are really the only three. Yep. Uh, look for me at Open Args uh, or uh, at P.A. Torres Law. But uh, really, follow follow the opening arguments Twitter. Follow our own Cleanup on Aisle 45 Twitter. That is at Aisle 45 Pod. And um, boy, that's, uh, I think, the 11 or so different ways that you can get in touch with us. We're not hard to find. No, we're, no. We're accessible folks. And uh, next Tuesday, you can find us on the Stereo app live yep. at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern. Now, by then, we'll all be caught up on our lost hour. God, I hope they cancel Daylight Saving <laughs> oh. Time. I hope they cancel Daylight Savings Time. But I would like to say bye-bye to Daylight Saving Time. Now, I know that there's a lot of senators that want to make Daylight Saving Time permanent, but that's bad we should make standard time permanent and we should talk about maybe reorganizing a little bit of the the northern states into different 
um, time zones to, to make up for the fact that they already have sun until 10 at night. So, um, <laughs> but just the, you know, it's, it's dumb. It's old. It's time for it to go. It's time for it to say bye-bye. I hope we, that's beans bye-bye for me. I'm, I'm with you on that. All right. Well, uh, anything before we get out of here, Andrew, other than just a, another huge thanks to our patrons and, uh, and we really appreciate it. We couldn't do this show without you seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again to Adam Fernandez. What a, what a great interview. Yeah. He's a great guy and check out, um, lawyers for good government. Everybody until next week, this has been clean up on aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres and is engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with quality assurance and media by Muller She Wrote LLC. Branding design and logo by Starburns Audio and Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our copy is written by Jesse Egan. Our music is written and recorded by Adam Orr and Christopher Hoffey and our opening sequence is designed by Allison Gill and mixed by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Follow us on Twitter at Aisle45Pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss our cleanup on aisle 45 after party over on the stereo app. We'll be going live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern, and we want to hear from you. Our first stereo show went a little bit like this. These big corporations are donating money to politicians that are trying to suppress the vote. Uh, and that public pressure got them to come out and go, we oppose this. Right. So your voice does matter. People just like you um, have have made a difference. Um, and I love you're going to hear this on tomorrow's cleanup. Um, but Allison has a spectacular analogy that I'm not going to spoil on tonight's Q&A um, involving uh, the, the fact that these Republican efforts target Republicans as well. Right. And so um, <laughs> oh, yeah. it, 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 it's so good and I don't want to spoil it. Um, but but their thought process is, yeah, we don't care if we, uh, you know, wind up suppressing some Republican votes because we're suppressing more Democratic votes. Um, and that gives you an opportunity to build coalitions with people who care about having their voices. Doesn't Can you build a coalition with Uncle Frank? No, you, you can't. Um, but there are a lot of working class pro-Trump people who are like, yeah, you know what? Um I'd kind of like to be able to vote on the weekend because, you know, I work second shift and uh, otherwise like voting in person on a Tuesday sucks. Right. Yeah. Lots of opportunities like that. So um, I, I hear you. Don't don't put aside the despair uh, and and uh, and focus on the on the positive. And hopefully we've given you some um, some concrete uh, options there. Stereo app is live social conversations, and they're awesome. And we want to talk directly with you, our listeners. So you can join our show, ask questions about news, politics, or anything. And you can share your experiences and opinions. We want to hear it all. So download now and join us live this week. Link to our show in the description. And join us over on the Stereo app.